Today's reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Nicola, and thank you to everyone who's been part of today's service. For those who don't know me, I'm Cathy. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be able to share from God's Word as we continue our series in Ephesians. And just as we come to God's Word, how about we pray? Lord God, today we want to position ourselves because we know that your Word is powerful and it is active in our lives. And so we just position ourselves to receive from you. Holy Spirit, we know your presence is among us and you love to take the Word of God and make it personal to us speak to us. We invite you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who here moved from somewhere else to Australia? You were born somewhere else. All right. Who can I pick on? Pat, can you tell me where did you move from? Sri Lanka. So being part of a Sri Lankan family, is there things, cultural traditions, food, particular things that you now carry into who you are that you continue to do? His wife's nodding, by the way. (laughs) He's going, well, it's just normal. Doesn't everyone do this? Can you name one or two things? I have been to your parents' place for lunch. We have people over. We have one dish on our table. Your mum had made... She must have spent three days cooking. There were 45 dishes for five of us. Awesome. 
just particular things that go with the culture. Sorry, I made you go, oh, food. Food is huge. Is there one other thing? It's huge. Yeah. So it's, it's huge. Yeah. Christmas every weekend. Just picture that. You're with your family all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. We actually have a Sri Lankan who comes in the night congregation as well. And, she, and I said to her last Sunday night, what are you doing tomorrow? And she said, oh, yeah, we're having a little family gathering. 60 people. She sent me photos. This has been three days of cooking. It's huge, huge. Just as for Pat being Sri Lankan really influences who he is, it influences his identity and therefore what he does, so for us... Being a follower of Christ actually informs our identity of who we are and that then also influences and shapes what we do as well. This is basically the framework for the book of Ephesians that we've been working through. And so for the first three chapters, it's all about identity. Paul wants the Ephesians to know that when they came to Christ, they were given a new identity and he speaks that over three chapters and he intersperses that with prayers that they will be able to lay hold of and live out this identity. And then when we come to chapters four to six, we're to read them in light of that new identity. And so essentially Paul is saying, this is who you now are. So let that shape how you're going to live it out. If we were to read selected passages from Ephesians 4 to 6 in isolation, it can almost come across as a list of rules. That somehow being a Christian is methodical adherence to a code of ethics. And I think that's certainly the way that those who are outside of Christ would see the Christian faith. That as Christians we're tied up with rules and we want to push our rules on everyone else. I think that's a very common perception that people have of Christians. But the Apostle Paul is saying, no, no, no. Those who follow Christ are the ones who've been given the new identity and so let your new identity shape how you live. This isn't about us reforming everyone else's behaviour. This is about us knowing who we are and therefore letting it shape how we live every day. Does this make sense? So in the passage that we're looking at today in Ephesians 5, that's essentially what Paul is saying. If this is who you are, practically... This is what it's going to look like in your everyday. So there are two ways that Paul describes our identity in this passage. That those of us who have chosen to be followers of Christ, we are dearly loved children and we are light. So let's start with children of light. I'm a visual person. I will always think messages and pictures. Ephesians 5.8 says, You were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Paul is saying, once you were this, but now you are this. Notice he doesn't say once you were in darkness, now you are in light. He's saying once you were darkness. That those who do not have the light of Christ living in them are darkness. That's what he's saying. And it's not, therefore, about how dark your deeds are. You know, the more evil you are, the darker the kind of person you are. Nor is it about whether you're a good person and, you, you know, you're kind of a light grey person. Paul is simply saying, if you do not have the light of Christ, you are darkness. It's only the light of Christ that brings us to light. 
And so this exchange from darkness to light has nothing to do with our behaviour. It has everything to do with Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sin and who rose to new life so that we might have new life, there's a spiritual exchange. We become light. And so John 1 verse 9 speaks of Jesus when it says, The one who is true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then Jesus said of himself in John chapter 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have the light of Christ in us. So, Paul is saying to the believers in Ephesus, as children of light, don't go back to behaviour that belongs to the darkness. And so he's spent chapters four and five so far spelling out what some of that behaviour of darkness actually is. This isn't meant to be an exhaustive checklist, but without Paul enunciating how it looks, then it becomes just kind of theoretical. I think he wants this to be practical so that we can lay hold of how it looks in our lives. So he lists some things. He says, don't lie. Don't get angry. And it's not actually the emotion of anger that's a problem. It's when anger leads to sin, when it injures other people. He says, avoid stealing. He actually says, avoid unwholesome talk. And you understand that this is more than just swear words. Unwholesome talk is, is the kind of talk that tears down and it divides. It's unloving talk. Things like when we're judgmental, when we criticise people, when we gossip, when we slander people, whether it's to their face or behind their back, Paul's saying avoid unwholesome talk. Avoid bitterness. Bitterness is that thing that grows when someone has done a wrong against us, but we just are so, you know, such a sense of injustice in us that we refuse to forgive them. That's where bitterness grows out of. Avoid bitterness. Forgive. Avoid rage. Rage is simply anger out of control. Avoid immorality and impurity, where sexual appetites are used merely as a means of pleasure without any sense of responsibility or care for the partner. Avoid greed that leads to idolatry, where we put the priority on accumulating money or things ahead of God. And greed that hurts others, the ways that we consume in a self-absorbed way. It's all about my needs first. And if I have anything left at the end, well, that's the bit that I get to give. Avoid getting drunk and avoid obscenity and coarse joking. As I said, this wasn't intended to be an exhaustive checklist. Paul lists them as examples of deeds that belongs to darkness. And what he is saying is as children of light, don't go back to deeds of darkness. Because when we do, it's like we do this. We're unkind. We refuse to forgive. We take all of our money for ourselves. We might think that what we do is done in secret. But the truth is, it is visible. Because it is so contrary for who we've become. When we are children of light, our lives are visible. And so nothing is tucked away. And so the things that we do dull our witness, they dull the light of Christ in us. And then as others around us see what's actually going on in our lives, it's like the words that we speak in our life are contradicting each other. Our words say Jesus makes all things new, but our lives say actually 
Jesus doesn't make a practical difference in how I live. Can I just say, we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. We know this, right? However, don't let that cause you to become complacent. Because I think it's so easy for us as Christians. We each have our own little checklist of things that we abstain from. And we get to a place where we think, so long as I'm sort of doing okay according to my little checklist, I'm doing okay. And we become complacent relationally with God. And so Paul is saying, not only abstain from this, don't just do your little checklist, but he also flips it around and he says, pursue the fruit of light. Pursue the fruit of light. And he says, the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And you know, it's not just that we're going after right behaviour. Our main focus is that we're going after Jesus. So you can't force fruit to grow in our lives. You can try and be a better person, but I guarantee you that you'll very early on grow tired and revert back. You don't force fruit to grow. What you do is you create the context for fruit to grow. So we know this with plants, right? You do good soil and water and and fruit will grow from a plant. And the same with us. When, When we create that context in our lives, when we're pursuing our relationship with the Lord, spending time with him each day, being in his word each day, being attentive and responsive to what the Spirit is showing us, that's the context in which the fruit of righteousness and truth and goodness grows. And so Paul is saying in the context of that relationship then, he goes on to say, also find out what pleases the Lord. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer, finding out what pleases the Lord, it's actually an ongoing discovery. Because that's how relationships work, yeah? You find out what pleases someone. Steve and I have been married um, for 28 years. I worked this out in the first service. We've been married for a long time. You would think that I would have it all worked out, what pleases him and what doesn't and whatever by now. It was only a couple of weekends ago. We're speaking at the youth camp and Steve is sharing an illustration about tennis. And all of a sudden I have this dawning realisation, you really like tennis, don't you? (laughs) Really, really like tennis. Tennis. You would think, like that all through our married life, the fact that he's been able to tell me what tournament's playing, how the players are going all the time. Yeah, I'd go and watch him play. He dragged me to the French Open. I could have explored Paris, but no, no. <laughs> no, lots of time at Roland Garros. Oh. So you'd think I'd know, but it was really, honestly, it was two weekends ago where I just went... Call me slow. I just want to say, it takes time to really work out, to really get what pleases someone. And jokes aside, it's true in our relationship with God. Because I think the reality is, God's character is so vast, it's so bigger than we currently know. And so we're on this ongoing journey of discovering more and more of who he is. And then you put that alongside with the fact that that we're living in an ever-changing culture. And so how culture works today is so different for how it was a decade or two decades ago. We live in this incredibly me-centred, individualistic, hedonistic, consumer-oriented culture. And so we're finding out what pleases the Lord in light of who he is, but also in light of this culture that we're now living in that we're just getting swept away with. And so it's just this place of us leaning in and discovering what pleases the Lord. How can I please the Lord in the choices that I make about how I spend my money? 
How can I please the Lord with the choices that I make about what I will watch? At what point when something comes on a screen do you go, actually, that's not right for me? Or when a movie comes out and you go, actually, I'm not going to see that one because I've heard the reviews and I know some of the content in it and that's not right for me. At what point do we also just ask ourselves a question, is the way that I'm spending my time really the way that is pleasing the Lord right now? I just want to say all these questions that we have don't have one-size-fits-all answers. And I think if we were to stand Sunday by Sunday and just tell you how you live, you'd probably do an exit. Because it's not like that, and it wasn't intended to be like that. It's about each of us in the context of relationship with the Lord, being led by His Spirit and in light of what the Word of God says, actually making those day-by-day-by-day decisions about what is and isn't right. You know, I know for us last year, Steve and I had to cancel our overseas holidays because I became unwell. After that time, we had a six or seven week window before the insurers gave us our money back. It was in that time that we both independently of each other had this sense from the Lord, when the money comes back, well, praying it did, when the money comes back, give a chunk of it to kingdom work. And it just became such a delight for us just to lean into God and to listen to where he would have us give. And, you know, I'd like to say that we're that in tune with God all the time, but the truth is, the busier life is, the more transactional we get in our relationship with God. Pleasing the Lord for all of us requires us to lean in and to listen and to make time to really be attentive. Um, Lord, what is it you're saying to me in, in my particular situation, in what the decision that I face right now, what are you saying to me and how am I going to choose to respond? So the first way Paul describes the identity of Christ's followers in Ephesians 5 is as children of light. Paul is simply saying, live out who you are. Don't go back to deeds of darkness. Find out what pleases the Lord. Pursue relationship with Jesus and his spirit will grow the fruit of light in you. The second way that Paul describes our identity is as dearly loved children. John 1, 12 and 13 says, To all who received him, it's talking about Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of human descent or decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And it gets better. Not only have you become a child of God, but you are also a dearly loved child of God. And so in the context of knowing how much God loves you, imitate him. That's what Paul's saying. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Once again, our Christian life isn't adherence to a set of rules. It's responding to a God who loves us and following his example in the way that we love others. Jesus is our living, breathing example. His love cost um, came at a cost. Stepping down from his place of esteem into a world that would distrust and abuse him. Setting aside his desires and needs to minister to a hurting and broken world. And ultimately choosing the Father's will in laying down his life for the sin of people, many of whom would not recognise the love and the sacrifice that that took. We are called to follow his example of sacrificial love in the way that we love him and the way that we love others. Sacrificial love costs us something to give. We forego our wants 
our desires, at times our needs, in order to express our love for God and for others. At a practical level, sometimes that might mean just a check in our spirit. You know, for a decision that we're about to make, it might be just how we're about to spend our money on something and the Holy Spirit just checks us in that moment and just goes, are you sure? Sometimes it might mean giving up an evening that we'd planned. We plan nice things to recreate, regenerate ourselves. And sometimes the Spirit just enters that place and goes, actually, why don't you press into the Father tonight? Why don't you spend a night just in prayer, in worship? Or other times it might be that God brings before us the need of someone else and that night that we planned for us becomes a night that we give away in order to serve and love someone else. I love Colleen who spoke last week. I just loved a story that she shared in open mic a few months ago now and, and she shared this story of driving to Surrey Hills. She was on a mission to, to get some sweeties from a bakery that she was going to have on a date night with Jamie. So she drove all the way, it was like an hour and a half through Sydney traffic to get to Surrey Hills. It was actually a path, she'd, a route she'd never been down before and so it was a stressful drive and she got there and then it took her another half an hour to find a car park and you know, finally she gets these little sweets from a bakery and you know she goes home with her prized treat in her car and she's she's so excited about the night that's to come and how this is all going to play out and this date that she's got with Jamie and the surprise that she's got planned as she's driving home she senses the spirit just in her spirit just saying to her I want you to give those those treats that you have to a mum at the school gate who you've been trying to build a relationship with um, but who's been very guarded and Colleen said, in that moment, she's like, oh, really? And she does this internal wrestle, you know, she's like, oh, no, you know, like, God, really? There's three. Jamie could have one, I could have one, or we could give one to the mum. That works. And, you know, she, she, does, she wrestles this down with God, and finally, he, he wins. She surrenders this place, and she turns up at the school gate that afternoon with these bakery treats. And she gives them to this mum. And completely unknowing to, to Colleen, stuff has been going on in this mum's life. And so the mum breaks down in tears. And she, she shares with Colleen that um, she's been living in a, uh, an abusive home situation. And that very weekend, she was planning to leave. And these, these little packet of baked goods just spoke into this lady's life that there is someone who loves you and cares about you and who knows, who knows what's going on. There's no way that Colleen would have known or could have known to open that door for herself. But her act of sacrificial love opened the way into the life of a lady who's become a friend now for her to be able to care. So I think, you know, it's really so simple for us a few times a week just to, to ask Lord, is there anyone that you're wanting me to show sacrificial love to at, the, at present? How do you want me to do that? Dearly loved children love sacrificially. And so at times that will mean proactively with the things that we do do. So we lean in and we listen and we respond. But then there are other times where it's proactive, but it's, it's actually choosing not to do certain things. And that's where verses 3 to 6 in this chapter come in, where Paul says, don't be sexually immoral or impure or greedy. We live in such an individualistic culture right now that says the choices that we make are just about me. It's whether it feels right for me or not. And the truth is, all of our sin, all of the things that we do are relational. And so in Ephesians 4.30, just a few verses before this, Paul has already said, do not 
grieve the Holy Spirit in your sin. Because the things that we do impact relationship with God. The Spirit of God is dwelling within us. And as we're going through and just going, oh, it doesn't matter, I'll just choose this way. The Spirit within us is going, no, that's not who you've been made to be. That's not who you are. So there's this impact that is relationship with God, but then it's this impact that's in relationship with other people. And they're the two examples that Paul uses there where he talks about sexual immorality and also in greed as well. That those things, not just choices that we make, they have relational impact on other people as well. And so as dearly loved children, we are called to respond to Jesus' sacrificial love by loving him and others sacrificially. We're going to leave the passage there this morning. And what I'd love you to do as we finish is just to close your eyes. And I'd love you to recall that picture of that image of light. Those two figures of light and darkness. And just recall that image of light. I just want to say, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus at some point in your life, you are light. The spiritual exchange has happened. The light of Christ lives in you. I just want you to sit with that truth for a moment. Continuing in that place of reflection, now would you invite the Holy Spirit to bring to your attention areas where you've continued with deeds of darkness, maybe over a period of time, or it, you know, it just may be from the last day or so. Just allow the Spirit to search you and bring those things to your attention so that you might confess them to the Lord and receive his forgiveness. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a done deal. You are light in the Lord. Now I want you to picture the dearly loved child image, that, that picture that we just saw. And I just want to speak God's truth over you. You, you are a dearly loved child. You are. It's intimacy made possible, not because you were good enough, but because of Jesus' sacrificial love. Offer him your sacrificial love in response. Ask him if there's a specific way that he would have you love sacrificially this week. And again, just staying in that place of reflection before we finish, I want to issue an invitation if you've never made a commitment to Christ before, that verse that we looked at earlier from John 1.12 says, To all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You don't have to just watch on for this today. If you want to choose to trust who Jesus is and what he did to forgive your past, just tell him that right now. Jesus, I want to thank you that our new life and our new identity is all about what you have done. We thank you for your sacrificial love. Jesus, we thank you for laying down your life. God, I want to thank you for this spiritual exchange that has happened in us, that we don't have to strive to make something happen, but God, you have done it. So we want to thank you and we want to step into that place of fresh, our new identity afresh today. And we want to say thank you. And we also want to respond, Lord, by living lives that just actually live out and tell the world of who you've made us to become. God, thank you that we're not self-righteous, but we've been made righteous in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are light and we're dearly loved. And I pray this week, Lord God, that we would be really mindful of living 
day by day, decision by decision, in a way that pleases you and brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.